that you are able to be back with us tonight and we can continue our study. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is where we'll be at tonight. I do have a handout for you that I know most of you do not have, so I'm going to ask a couple volunteers to help me pass out some, uh, some of these sheets, if you will. So let's try and do uh, one per couple uh, to share and make sure everybody gets one if you can. It's just a good summary of uh, basically everything we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, so if you uh, will follow that along, you'll, you'll notice we'll talk about most of these things uh, this evening. If you're joining us for the first time in a while or on a Sunday night, we have been studying the book of Daniel uh, the last uh, several months, and we have finally last week finished up Daniel. But this lesson is still somewhat about what Daniel talks about in, uh, Gen- in Daniel chapter 12 uh, specifically, and we'll be in Matthew chapter 23 to start with and work our way into 24 and also perhaps 25 uh, if we get that far. So uh, if this is, again, like your first time being here, this is kind of a deep dive, and you may be a little bit uh, out of the water, perhaps. Uh, so you, you may just have to stick with us, and if you have questions, especially if you haven't been here, I'm happy to talk to you about it. Uh, but uh, to understand Matthew 23, 24, and 25, uh, it would really be great to understand Daniel 7 through 12, especially. Uh, we go back just briefly and make a couple comments about the book of Daniel. Uh, in Daniel chapter 2, we have uh, a dream that the king has has, and that leads us to what we would believe to be the time uh, of the Romans, the time of the beginning of the church, the time of Christ. Uh, in Matthew or Daniel chapter uh, 7 and 8 and 9, there are separate visions that would lead us to uh, think about and identify with the Romans and with the time of Christ and with the birth of the church. And then you get to Daniel 10, 11, and 12, and there's one combined vision uh, that is certainly all about what we're going to be talking about uh, tonight and Jesus even references it, uh, references is that passage and, and those last few chapters of Daniel uh, in the passage that we're going to talk about tonight. So uh, that's, that's kind of where we're at. So if you look at, uh, well, again, we'll, we'll start in, Ma- in Matthew 23, 29 here in just a minute. But if you look in your Bible at the heading for Matthew chapter 24, uh, the, the heading, the, the title, if you will, of your Bible in Matthew chapter 24, you might have things like this. Here's uh, some of them that I found in the, the different versions that I looked, okay? Uh, signs of Christ's return, the glorious return, be ready for his coming. And all of them seem to kind of have to do with uh, the idea or the, the topic of the second coming of Christ. Mine, specifically, uh, right now I'm using the Legacy Standard Edition, which is a version of or a tweak of the New American Standard Bible. Uh, mine says, Signs of Christ's Return. Now, what I want to tell you about this is a little bit uh, outside of the Bible study, but something that's important for us to think about when we talk about these types of things. So, the New American Standard Bible is published by the Lockman Foundation. Okay, the Lockman Foundation, that's a group that publishes Bibles, okay, and they're in charge of the translation of the New American Standard Version, uh, and they, they publish the Bibles. If you have a New American Standard Bible, the New American Standard Version was developed by the Lockman Foundation. If you go on the Lockman Foundation's website, they say this verbatim, we believe in the literal, bodily, physical, and premillennial return of Jesus Christ. Okay, so the Lockman Foundation, as a group of people, uh, are premillennialists. Okay, what's a premillennialist? Premillennialist. Uh, they believe that at some point in the future, uh, that Jesus is going to come and reign on the earth with the saints, with Christians, for a literal thousand years that he will sit on the throne in Jerusalem. Okay, a physical kingdom, uh, that there's going to be a tribulation, the antichrist, the rapture, all those words that we have heard about from some of our religious friends and studied about in in different ways, okay? We talked about in our study of Daniel that a a few different times, uh, some uh, premillennialists, people who believe in that literal, bodily, physical 
uh, reign of Jesus on the earth for a thousand years, uh, they look to passages in Daniel, again, that we've already talked about in detail, so I'm not going to go back to those, and they use some of those to support their teaching, support this idea that Jesus is going to do this. Certainly, uh, other folks use the book of Revelation. Uh, Glenn asked me today that, you know, we got done with Daniel, and now we're in Matthew, and next we're going to Revelation, and I said, no, we're not. Uh, so we're not ready for that one yet. Maybe, maybe later uh, we'll do Revelation, but we're not doing that now. But this does have to do with stuff that people look at the book of Revelation and they come to these conclusions that Jesus is going to have this premillennial reign on, uh, on the earth. Um, some things to think about with that is, again, the Jewish Talmud, which is a, uh, a writing, a commentary basically on the Old Testament, they warn in that that they think it would be foolish and they would be far more familiar with Daniel and all of the Old Testament than any of us are. They think that it's foolish to use the book of Daniel to talk about the end of the world. Okay, but that's what premillennialists do. So people who are more familiar with it than we are think that's a foolish thing. And they even say that's probably a, a wrong thing, a, a bad idea to, to do that sort of thing. Okay, uh, so that, that's, that's important for us to think about. Um, this is a deep dive. Okay, so stick with me as best you can. Okay, so you got premillennialists. Those are folks who think Jesus is going to come back and reign on the earth for uh, a thousand years, literal reign. Okay, you, then you have uh, postmillennial. Uh, who think that Jesus is going to come and reign uh, on the earth after a thousand years of uh, a perfect Christ, uh, a perfect place for the Christians to live. And then you have a millennialist, okay? I would assume that most of us here today are a millennialist, okay? A millennialist are people who do not believe in a millennial reign of Jesus on the earth, okay? Maybe not everybody's there. That's definitely where I'm at. Uh, and again, a study of Daniel has helped us to prove some of these things. That's why we're taking the time to go to Matthew 24 and 25, and certainly why a study of the book of Revelation is important. Not what we're doing tonight, though, okay? Or next week, or the week after that. Uh, but it's going to be a while before, before we get to that. Uh, but this is something for us to think about because, because the idea of are you a premillennialist, a postmillennialist, or are you a millennial, it um, changes the way you read Scripture. Okay? The reason that the Lachman Foundation, in my version right here, says signs of Christ's return above the verses that are actually the word of God is because they believe that there's going to be a millennial reign, and they look at Matthew 24 and say, this is pointing to, and these are signs for Jesus that are going to come before Jesus' return. Now, tonight, what we're going to venture to do, because Jesus mentions and talks about Daniel, and it connects with what we've been talking about, is... Whether you believe in the millennial reign or not, Matthew 24 is not about signs coming before any type of reign of Jesus on the earth. It's just not. And it's really pretty clear in Matthew 24 and 25 that it's not that. It's a pretty long lesson. I had six pages of notes. Uh, I don't know that we're going to get it finished tonight because I don't want to rush through it, but and I want to cover it completely. Uh, so we'll see how far we get. I promise to not go past 7.30. Okay, I won't go past 7, probably. Uh, but... Just kidding. We're not going to go that long. Uh, the, the people in Children's Bible Hour will get very upset with me. Um, but in Matthew 24, um, in Matthew 21, Jesus, from Matthew 21 to 27, is the last week of Jesus' life. Okay? Matthew 21 is the triumphal entry when Jesus enters Jerusalem uh, for the last time. And on, on that day, what happens? They call it, some people call it Palm Sunday, right? Remember, they lay the palms down, and he's riding on the colt of a donkey. And what do they say? They say, Hosanna to the son of David. And there's this large crowd and a big uproar and it just gets the whole city in an uproar. So on Sunday, Hosanna to the son of David. On Friday, crucify him, crucify him, right? 
it did not take long for the crowd to change their, their words, right? And maybe some people, maybe it's two totally different crowds. Maybe there's some people that are in both crowds. But the, the sentiment towards Jesus entering into Jerusalem is Hosanna to the son of David. And on that Friday, just a few days later, it's crucify him, crucify him. On those days when he's there in Jerusalem during this time, uh, this is kind of some of the things that happen that lead us to where we're at, okay? He enters Jerusalem. He overturns the tables in the temple of the money changers. Uh, He upsets the chief priests and the scribes uh, by accepting uh, recognition as the son of David. His authority is challenged, and he challenges the authority of the religious leaders. He declares that he is the stone which the leaders or the builders rejected, but that sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes have accepted he declares himself to be the chief cornerstone all of this would have great meaning to the jews and meaning to the old testament okay uh, he questions priorities telling people they're they're too worried about earthly concerns and not focused enough on eternal concerns uh, he answers the sadducees and remember the sadducees and the pharisees are the two leading groups of the jews religiously okay so he answers the sadducees say, listen to what he says he says you don't understand the scriptures What an insult to say to a group of religious leaders. You don't understand the scriptures. And then he exposes the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. See, the Pharisees are teaching right. They're teaching the right thing to do, but they're not doing the right thing. So they're hypocrites. The Sadducees, they're not even teaching the right thing. They're misinterpreting or purposefully changing the message that is being presented. And then we get to Matthew chapter uh, 23, verses 29 through 39. And it is believed, and more likely the evidence points to, this is Tuesday. So Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into, uh, into Jerusalem on Sunday. Part of that day and on Monday, he's doing all these things we just talked about. And then uh, as he, he's, he's wrapping up the woes to the Pharisees, calling out their hypocrisy. In Matthew 23, let's start in verse 29 and kind of set the stage for what we're going to do, okay? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you bind... Uh, For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you bear witness against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Okay, listen to this strong language that Jesus is using against these religious leaders, calling them serpents and calling them... um, A brood of vipers telling them they cannot escape the sentence of hell. Verse 34, on account of this, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will flog in your synagogue and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of of all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah to the the son of uh, Berkiah. Uh, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Okay, well there's, when we're thinking about this idea of what is, what is Jesus talking about in Matthew 24 especially, but even into 25, that last phrase in verse 36 is important. Uh, truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation, this group of people that are hearing what I'm having to say uh, right now, Jesus, for, for Jesus' time. Then he says in verse 37, uh, this beautiful lament over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted you to to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you did not want it. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Before I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So here Jesus is beginning to make a a prophecy about the destruction or the desolation of, of Jerusalem. 
Okay, and this is, again, a, a significant situation that's going on. He's, he's been uh, talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, especially uh, calling out woe to them, and now he's calling out punishment upon them, but not just upon them, but also to uh, all of Jerusalem. And then we get to Matthew 24, and it says this. Okay, so he was, uh, the verse verse says, and coming out from the temple. So apparently he was in the temple talking with these scribes and Pharisees, pronouncing this judgment upon them. Coming out of the temple, Jesus was going along, and his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he answered and said to them, Do you not see all of these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. All right, so in verse uh, 24, uh, as Jesus and his disciples are, are leaving the temple, the disciples remark about uh, the temple buildings. And the parallel passages to, to the Matthew passage are Mark 13 and Luke chapter 21. And in Mark 13 and Luke 21, they specifically say, Look at how beautiful, look at how beautiful the temple is. Okay, so not only do they remark about the temple itself, but they're remarking about its beauty. And, and Jesus says to them uh, in verse 2, Do you see all of these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. So Jesus has already pronounced judgment upon uh, the scribes and the Pharisees. He's already pronounced judgment in chapter 23 uh, upon Jerusalem itself. And now Jesus is reiterating. He's insisting about his, his judgment upon Jerusalem. This, this statement, when Jesus says in verse 2, Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. This would have been a shocking statement to any Jew. Even to Jesus' apostles. It was, this would have been something that would have, have shocked them because the Jews, Old Testament, New Testament, we know the apostles themselves, Jesus' 12 apostles, the closest to him, uh, they, they looked for the Messiah to bring about a rebirth of the Jewish nation, not to destroy it. And, and I want you to understand that the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem would be like the destruction of the people. To the Jews, again, such a destruction of the temple could only mean the end of Jerusalem, the end of uh, their world, the way that they would see their world. So Jesus has, in their minds at least, some explaining to do. They want to know, what are you talking about, Jesus? What do you mean the the temple is going to be destroyed? And for us to understand what's going on here, we have to understand what are the disciples asking in order to understand what Jesus is saying in Matthew 24. So here are the three passages from Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke uh, where the the apostles come to him, okay? This passage here is is, uh, commonly referred to as the Olivet Discourse, okay? Because they go to the Mount of Olives, Okay, they go out of Jerusalem, they go across the Kidron Valley, and they go to the Mount of Olives, the very same place that Judas will betray him in just a few days, and that he'll be arrested and taken to be crucified, okay? So he's on the Mount of Olives, which was a place he and his disciples frequently visited, and he's teaching them there, and it says these things. In Matthew 24, verse 3, that you're probably already turned to, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, okay? So they were there kind of in public as they're walking out of the temple, walking out of Jerusalem, and he says these things, and they're... They're bothered, they're disturbed by what he says, but it's, it's in public. There's probably other people around, and they want to they get with him one-on-one. Jesus, listen to what they say. Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Okay, so again, when will these things happen? What, what has Jesus said is going to happen? Jesus says that there won't be one stone on top of the other, that the temple is going to be destroyed, okay? Uh, then they also perhaps say, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Again, that gives us a little bit of the glimpse. They, they equate, the apostles equate the destruction of the temple with the end of the Jewish nation, perhaps even the end of the world, okay? That's what they equate this with. 
All right? Uh, so so they, they say, what's the sign of, of your coming and the end of the age? And in Mark's account, Mark 13, 3 and 4, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, so perhaps the ones that are closest to Jesus, they say, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all of these things will be fulfilled? Okay? So when is this going to happen? You're saying the temple is going to be destroyed, not one stone left on top of the other. When is that going to happen? That's what we want. What, and then specifically they ask, where are the signs? How can we know this is about to happen. And then in Luke's account, Luke 21, verse 7, they questioned him saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? I'd suggest to you as we're trying to understand Matthew 24, especially in light of Daniel, uh, that their primary concern is when will the temple, when will Jerusalem be destroyed? That's what they're asking. Now there is some, some secondary teaching, uh, but the primary concern that the apostles have, the disciples have, is not some sort of future or second coming of Christ, they don't even understand that to be a thing yet. They're concerned about, you said the temple is going to be destroyed? That's a big deal. When's that going to happen? How can we know that's going to happen? Teach us more about that. Now, let me say this before we go forward. Matthew 25 absolutely is talking about the second coming of Christ. Matthew 24 is not. Okay? There's, there's a difference there that we need to make sure that we understand because, again, some of our uh, premillennial friends, uh, they... they they don't make a distinction, and they try and put it all together. And I think there is a distinction. That's kind of what we're talking about, okay? Uh, let's keep going. Uh, Matthew 24, verses 4 through 14 is Jesus' response to their question, uh, talking about what I believe to be is the destruction of Jerusalem, okay, in AD 70. Uh, Matthew 24, 4 and 5. And Jesus answered and said to them, after they asked, when are these things going to happen? See to it that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and, and will deceive many. And you are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Okay? So he says, listen, wars and rumors of wars are going to take place, but that's that's not the signs of what we're talking about. Uh, Many are going to claim to be the Christ, even the Savior of the Israelites. Some may even claim to be the ones that are going to overthrow Rome, uh, but they will only mislead those that they follow. Okay? Look at verses 6 through 8, and what this is talking about is things will get bad in and around Jerusalem before its destruction. Look at verse 6. And you are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars so that you will be, so that you are not alarmed. Uh, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Okay, so he's talking about here are some things that are going to be going on, but let's, let's talk about it. Wars, rumors of wars, nations and kingdoms fighting, famine and earthquakes, but all these things must occur before this destruction that he's talking about. These are signs. These are signs uh, that will take place before the destruction of Jerusalem, but not before the destruction of the world, not before Judgment Day, not before these types of things. Um, Tacitus, who's a, a Roman historian, a Jewish historian as well, uh, tells us some of the history uh, about the time between A.D. 30. Remember, Jesus dies in the early 30s and A.D. 70. A.D. 70 is when, in, when Jerusalem is destroyed. And here, here's what this historian says. He says, the history of which I am entering is a period rich in disasters, terrible with battles, torn by civil struggles, horrible even in peace, 
Four emperors fell by the sword. There were three civil wars, more foreign wars, and often both at the same time. A terrible time. Josephus, another historian, and as well as some other historians, describe uh, the very disturbed state of Judea during this time. Uh, There are massacres of the Jews in uh, Caesarea, in Alexandria, in Babylon, and in Syria, all during this time period uh, that Jesus will be talking about here. In in, uh, a famine also uh, ravaged Judea. Uh, during the the rule of Claudius, which we read about in Acts chapter 11 uh, and verse 28. Uh, More than 30,000 died of pestilence in ancient Babylon, uh, parts of Judea and Rome, all before AD 70. And all of this was going on. But Jesus says these were, these, when these signs are happening, it's not yet the end of Jerusalem. Now, if you look at that and I look at that, I could probably say, well, isn't that true just about any time? There's wars and rumors of wars and sickness and earthquakes and disasters. And I think that's kind of the point that Jesus is saying. Things like that are going to happen, and they're always going to happen, and those are not necessarily the the signs of what you're looking for. You're asking me, when is this destruction of Jerusalem going to happen? Well, you're going to hear about all these things, and there are going to be some people who are going to take advantage and say, look at this disaster over here. You need to pay attention to this. This is God doing something. And some will even claim, I'm the Christ. I'm the one that's going to save the, the, the Jewish nation. You need to come and follow me. Can you even, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that, right? That there are people who would claim to have been the Messiah other than Jesus. But that happened before Jesus came, and that happened after Jesus came. There would be people who would claim to be the Messiah, and some of them would have a following for a little while and have some success and accomplish some things, but eventually all of them uh, and their followings would, would peter out. They wouldn't, they wouldn't come to anything, right? Uh, so, so this isn't anything new. Uh, and then in verses 9 through 13, it says that things are going to get even worse for people who follow Jesus. Look at verses 9 through 13. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away, and one will betray, uh, and one will and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will be will deceive many. And because lawlessness is multiplied, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So tribulation, murder, hatred. Again. Some religious folks use that word tribulation and they ascribe this to some future event. Uh, but we can think about in Acts chapter 8, um, go back to your, your history of the early church, what happens in Acts chapter 8. Remember Stephen is stoned. Remember Saul goes and he begins to persecute the church and there's a terrible tribulation there. So these things that Jesus is talking about happens during this same time period uh, that Stephen is killed and Saul persecutes the church. Many will fall away. Some uh, will be led away by false prophets. Well, Paul warns Timothy of that in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that that's going to happen. Again, all before AD 70. Uh, And then when he says the one who endures to the end will be saved, that reminds us of Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 where it says endure to the end and you'll receive the crown of life. Be faithful uh, to the end and you'll receive the crown of life so but then we get to really the part where there are some things to look for when we think about the destruction of jerusalem okay uh let's look at verse uh, verse 14 and this is an interesting verse uh that, that is not always easy to wrap our minds around and this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come okay so there's there's a question it says, before whatever Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 24, it says, the gospel will be, will be proclaimed to the whole world before this end comes. Okay, do you have a, a problem wrapping your mind around that? That the gospel is going to be proclaimed to the whole world? Can you think about some tribes in, in the Amazon or in distant Africa or in other parts of the world that are very remote? And we, we may even question and wonder, have, have those people even heard of, of the gospel? What does Jesus mean here? It, especially if... 
like I think, uh, this is talking about something that happened in AD 70, almost 2,000 years ago. How in the world can these two things be compatible? How, how in the world can we say that if Jesus says the, the gospel must be preached to all creation uh, before these things take place, how can we say that that's already happened if we could probably think about some examples of places that hasn't happened even at this point in our history? Um, but here, this helps us to understand actually that this must be referring to the destruction of Jerusalem. If you have your Bibles quickly, turn over to Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Uh, Colossians is written about 61 A.D., okay? Uh, we're talking about an event that happens in 70 A.D., the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, and notice what uh, Paul says to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Setting, going back to, it's really in verse 23, but it's going back a couple of verses to set the context. And although you were formerly a formerly alienated and enemies in mind and evil deeds but now have he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach if indeed you continued in the faith firmly grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard which was proclaimed listen which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which i paul was made a minister all right I believe the Bible to be God's inspired word. I believe Colossians was inspired by uh, the Holy Spirit. God inspired it and Paul wrote it down. Uh, and he says in the end of verse 23 that this gospel was proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Okay, what does that mean? Does that mean that in AD 61, when Colossians was written, every person that was alive had heard the gospel? I don't think that's what it means. When Jesus says in Matthew 23 that uh, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all creation and then the end will come, does that literally mean that every person who is alive has to hear the gospel before the end comes? I don't think so. Because, it, it, and certainly if this is referring to, again, like some of our religious friends thinks, referring to the end of the world, then we have, uh, we have two choices. Uh, the world came to an end about 70 AD. Well, we're still here, so that's clearly not it. Uh, the second one is Jesus is referring to the end of the Jewish nation or the temple destroyed. Again, I think that's what Matthew 24 is talking about. But what about that all creation thing? How do we wrap our minds around that? How do we, how do we uh, come to a conclusion on that? Uh, what I would say is uh, that in AD 61, when Colossians was written, uh, certainly the church had been opened beyond just the Jews. It had been opened to Gentiles. And the gospel was available to all creation. Uh, a relationship with God was no longer limited to just the Jews or just the Jewish people or Jewish nation. It was now open to everyone. And certainly many uh, missionary trips had happened throughout at least the known world, perhaps even the, the world of that time, and people were uh, open and available to obey the gospel. So that's the way that I would quickly, rather quickly, uh, try to summarize this idea that Jesus says that uh, the gospel must be preached to the whole world before the end comes. Colossians says, God, through the Spirit, through Paul, says that in 61 AD, the gospel had been proclaimed to the whole world. Now, literally, I don't think that every person who was alive in 61 AD had heard about Jesus. I do know 
that the gospel was readily available or readily able to be uh, accepted by everyone and anyone, anyone who heard about it. So I think, I think this is talking somewhat metaphorically, perhaps, about the idea of the gospel being available uh, to the whole world at this point. Let's go back to Matthew uh, 24. Uh, let's go ahead and read uh, verses 15 through 20, and we'll get into more of it. And uh, stick with me. I know not everybody likes this stuff. Uh, but stick with me, okay? Uh, Matthew twenty four fifteen through 20. Uh, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, okay? So those of us who have been for, here for Daniel, we recognize that, the abomination of desolation. That's Daniel nine twenty seven, Daniel eleven thirty one. Uh, we talked about that could be Antiochus the fourth. We talked about that's probably Rome. Certainly, if we're believing this way, we're, we're thinking it's Rome. Um, so, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through the bof- prophet through Daniel the prophet, uh, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So we've got to stop there for a second. Uh, this is why we're here, Matthew 24, because Daniel 12, Daniel 9, uh, Daniel 11 talk about this abomination of desolation. And then Jesus specifically here says, hey, I'm referencing something the prophet Daniel said. You need to stop and understand what the prophet Daniel said. Okay? And we've just finished up a very long study of the book of Daniel, so we're not going to rehash it. Uh, but he's talking about the abomination of desolation. Um, that sounds very ominous, doesn't it? The abomination of desolation. Something, that would be like a, something in an action movie that they would they'd use that phrase for the bad guy, right? The abomination of desolation. What does that mean? Well, abomination would have something to do with something that is irreligious or anti-religious or contrary to what God would want. It'd be an abomination, okay? And then a desolation, well, what does it mean to be desolate? Desolate just means empty, right? So the abomination of desolation has something to do with, uh, and it's talking about here in the, in the holy place, uh, there's an abomination of desolation. Something's going to happen in the holy place, in Jerusalem, uh, in the temple perhaps even, that's going to be abominable. It's going to be something that's against and irreligious and not what God wants, uh, and, and there's going to be some sort of desolation, some sort of emptiness that's uh, connected with this, okay? Uh, so let the reader understand that. That's a brief understanding of that, okay? Let's keep going, verse 16. Uh, then those who are in Judea, Okay, so there's a lot. I'm sorry. You see the abomination of desolation. And then in verse 16, here's what you do. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on a housetop must not go down to get the things that are in the house. And whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his garment. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Okay, so from those verses... You see the abomination of desolation. We'll talk more about perhaps what that is here in a little bit. What are you supposed to do? Get out of town, right? And you hope that it's not during these times when your travel and your ability to escape and get out of town is going to be more difficult if you're pregnant or if it's on the Sabbath. Why the Sabbath? Because the doors of the city are closed on the Sabbath. Okay, so it's going to be hard to to run away when the doors of the city are closed because, remember the Old Testament, they have laws about how far you can travel on the Sabbath. So there's just this this whole thing, okay? Uh, So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to flee. He says, don't go back to your home and get your things. Don't even go downstairs. You just go. You get out of town as quickly as possible. So this abomination of desolation, a horrible thing when you see it, get out of town. Pray that it doesn't happen when you're pregnant, when you're having babies, uh, during the winter, or when the gates are closed on the Sabbath. Right here is where we begin to see how this can not be talking about the return of Christ because we know that will happen like a thief in the night and running from will accomplish nothing did you hear me okay when you see the abomination of desolation you will have time to act when Jesus returns there will be no time to act he's here there's no time to act running to the mountains you're not going to escape right 
That has nothing to do, it, it can't be the same thing because the things Jesus is, Jesus is saying, do these things, they wouldn't be helpful it was, if it was talking about the second coming of Christ and Judgment Day. There's no running from that. But maybe whatever this abomination is, clearly Jesus thinks there will be some sort of purpose, some sort of aim, something that you can accomplish by running away from it. Uh, but you can't accomplish, those things won't accomplish anything when you're talking about Jesus. Uh, so what are they supposed to do? Uh, so... What were they supposed to flee from when they saw it, okay? Again, in Luke's account, in Luke 21, verse 20, it's, when you put these things together, it makes a lot more sense, okay? When you see the abomination of desolation, go. Well, Luke says in Luke 21, 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. The abomination of desolation. All desolation means is it's going to be empty going to be emptied out jerusalem is going to be emptied out of its people and luke says when you see jerusalem surrounded by armies know that her desolation is near okay well if we put these two things together if i see armies approaching or near or surrounding jerusalem do i still have a chance still got a chance maybe not a great chance if they're surrounding the whole city but at least i could try to flee to the mountains like matthew records right try to get out of town and because the destruction is here, it's coming. And we would have, they would have had the opportunity uh, to do this. Again, uh, look at verse uh, 21 and 22. Uh, why do we need to flee? Uh, for there will be a great tribulation, okay? So when, when you see the abomination of desolation, flee, get out of town. When you see armies surrounding Jerusalem, flee, get out of town. Because there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. That's very close to a word-for-word wording of Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Okay, which is, again, while we're here. Uh, verse 22. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of those elect, the days will be cut short. Okay? Uh, things are about to get even worse. When you see the abomination of desolation, when you see these armies surrounding, things are about to get even worse. Here's the answer from history, okay? Uh, here, here's what we know happens, okay, in AD 70, which would lead us to think, leads me to think th- certainly, that Daniel was talking about in Daniel 10, 11, and 12, and even before that, and that Jesus is talking about here just a further uh, prophetic um, prophecy about what was going to happen and now has happened uh, in AD 70, okay? Things are about to get worse. Here's what happens um, from history. The abomination is the Roman Empire, and the holy place is in reference to at least the holy city of Jerusalem. And Jesus says that they are going to cause it to be desolate or empty. Uh, the conquest of Galilee, Galilee, Jerusalem, Israel, Palestine. The conquest begins in 67 AD and culminates in 70 AD with the Roman siege of rebellious Jerusalem. Okay, Roman Empire. They basically own everything, right? And as long as you obey them and pay them taxes, it's all good. Okay? But if you stop paying taxes or if you say somebody else is in charge and other than Caesar, then the Roman Empire has big problems with you. In AD 67 through 70, they had a big problem with Jerusalem. They had a big problem with Israel because that rebellion began, okay? So they come and they start uh, skirmishes in 67, and it culminates with the armies of Rome surrounding Jerusalem uh, in AD 70. Uh, here, here are some things we know again from history. Outside the city, hundreds of Jews were crucified. Inside the city, inside with even the, own, the Jews themselves, a uh, civil war broke out. Why? Because some people said, hey, we just need to do what Rome says so we can be left alone. And some said, no way, we're not going to side with Rome. We, we, we want to be our own nation again. So civil war within the city 
uh, breaks out as several different factions uh, spent more time fighting each other than they did the Romans. Uh, the temple courts are described as being awash with blood and not sacrificial blood, but the blood of people. Uh, the, siege, the siege results in famine within the city, so bad that historians say that the mothers ate their children. Pestilence, starvation, slaughter, and other monstrous, monstrous atrocities were commonplace within these, this three-year period within the city of Jerusalem because they were cut off from everything. Uh, by August of AD 70, 1.1 million Jews had fallen by the edge of the sword and another 100,000 had been led away captive into all nations. A high percentage of the city's population was killed and enslaved during the fall of Jerusalem. A high percentage of the city's population was killed. Jerusalem was made desolate. It was emptied out. Lots of them died. Lots of them were taken away. Yes, there were still some people there, but in comparison, it was emptied out. It was desolate. Uh, if we go uh, to, to Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses 32 through 35, we skip a little bit here, and I'm going to wrap it up here, and then next week we're going to talk about Matthew 25. Uh, uh, it gets better a little bit. It's better for us, uh, but let's, let's look at this, okay? Uh, Matthew 24, we'll skip a little bit. We'll, we'll cover this next week, okay? Uh, 32 through 35. Jesus says in this, this conversation, in verse 29 through 31, well, again, we'll look at it next week, he begins to introduce a new idea, Uh, A different teaching related but different to what he's talking about. But look at verse 32 through 35. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and it puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So that you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So he says something they would all understand, okay? Something that... uh, Perfect example. Noticed it this morning. Lena pointed it out to me. You guys saw the uh, daffodils this morning. Anybody see daffodils today? First time I've seen them. What is that? In my mind, this is not commonplace in South Carolina. Not in my experience anywhere where I was born and raised. When the two years that I've been here now, when I see daffodils, you know what I know? Spring is near, and I like it. Okay, <laughs> uh, it's it's neat. Uh, that's. That doesn't happen in South Carolina. I don't know why. I don't know if we just have a daffodil de- deficiency. I'm not sure what's going on. But, but here, that's a thing, right? When you see the daffodils, you know spring's not too far away, no matter what the groundhog says, right? Uh, you, know, you know what's coming, right? Uh, so here he says with the fig tree, when its leaves get this way and they're tender and it shoots and all these things, you know that summer is near. There are signs that these things are about to happen. In the same way, Jesus, probably 40, 35, 40 years before the destruction of Jerusalem, before the siege of of Jerusalem by the Romans, he's saying, hey, look out for these things. When you see those armies surrounding the city, when you see these other things happening, I'm giving you a warning. Just like Daniel gave you a warning hundreds of years ago. When these things happen, get out of town. And then next week we're going to look at in verse, towards the end of verse 20, chapter 24 and into 25, he begins to teach them something that they probably aren't even asking, okay? They're asking about what are the, what are, what are the signs? How are we going to know that the, the temple is going to be destroyed? This is a big deal, Jesus. The, the temple being destroyed, Jerusalem being destroyed, that's the end of, the, of our world. What's that going to be like? And he's teaching them two different things. Here's when Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Here's some things you can look for. There will be signs. Uh, but in 25, he says, 
Uh, but here's what's going to happen, or here's uh, what's going to happen when, when Jesus, when I return, on the day of judgment. And you'll notice, if you have your sheet really quickly, I'll, I'll look at this, and we'll look at this again next week. Um, a few things here. On the left-hand side, you have uh, things that are describing the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, and on the right-hand side, things that are the destruction of the world or the second coming, okay? Notice, notice these things. We'll run through them, and then we'll be done, okay? Uh, destruction of Jerusalem, the time is identifiable, okay? Look for the army surrounding Jerusalem. The destruction of the world, the time is unknown, uh, in Matthew 25, no one knows the day. No one knows the time. Not even Jesus himself, Scripture teaches us. Uh, on the left-hand side, it will occur in this generation. That's what Jesus has said a, co- a couple times in the verses we've read. Uh, on the other side, it will happen on that day, not a specific time. Uh, the events uh, prior will be unusual. Okay, there will be some different things. The army surrounding Jerusalem, that's not commonplace. On the right-hand side, the events prior will be typical. And we'll look at it next week. Not next week, but two weeks from now, because next week is Super Sunday. Um, but in Matthew 25, he's going to say those days are going to be like the days of Noah when they're eating and drinking and being merry. Uh, and then all of a sudden the flood comes. They missed the signs. They missed what, what, uh, they missed. There weren't any signs necessarily. And because of that, they were unprepared in the same way that Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. There's not going to be anything to, uh, to warn you about that. Uh, there will be advanced warning. There will be no warning. Uh, the judgment will be local on the nation of Israel. The judgment will be universal on the right hand side. Uh, specific signs of the coming of judgment can be seen. This is a judgment. Matthew 24 is a judgment, but it's judgment of the Israelites really the final judgment in some ways of the Israelite nation. Uh, Matthew 25 is going to be talking about uh, the judgment of the world. And then the last part there, uh, there will be time to escape the judgment. Uh, and when Jesus returns again, there's not going to be any time. So what we take from this, if you liked history, you might have liked tonight. Yeah, you might not have. Um, but what's the application? There is no modern day application for you and me today from Matthew 24. Okay? Jesus is talking about, in my opinion, uh, and I have a high opinion of my opinion the same way you do, I think Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. I'm pretty confident about that. There may be some people who will disagree, but I'm pretty confident about that. And if that is what it is, there's no modern-day application. Me running from Jerusalem is not going to be very helpful for me in my life, okay? Um, But when we get to Matthew 25, we'll notice that Jesus says in the end, we have to be ready all the time because we don't know and there are no signs of when Jesus will return. Jesus could return right now. In this instant, in this instant, at any point, there will be no sign, no warning other than the fact that God has told us one day he's coming back. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, uh, the writer there tells us that uh, ignoring the times of ignorance God has now declared that all people everywhere should repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the earth through a man that he has provided, referencing Jesus. One day, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Again, that's what Matthew 25 is about. And we don't know when that will be. So how can we be ready for it? How can you be ready in this instant to stand before the judgment seat of God? Place all of your hope and all of your faith and devote your life to following Jesus not leaning upon your own understanding or your own righteousness, but fully on God and everything that he offers to us. Uh, So if you're a Christian tonight, continue to do that, no matter how good of a person you are. If you're not a Christian tonight, trust in Jesus, have faith in Jesus, become a follower of Jesus, no matter how good or not good of a person you are. 
If you want to be a Christian tonight, we want to study about that with you. Uh, we have an opportunity in a few moments to, to stand and sing a song. If you want to come forward and talk to me then or talk to me afterwards, uh, please come talk to me. Uh, we have, uh, there, there is a day when we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God and we will need Jesus on our side. The Bible tells us how to do that. If you're interested in that, uh, then I would love to talk to you about that. If you're a Christian tonight, uh, let's continue to follow Jesus to the best of our ability. If, we have any, if you have any needs, I invite you to come as we stand and sing.